again, Storefront Church. It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, let's just dive right into the passage I'll be reading from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Um, I'll also be reading from the ESV, which is the elect standard version. Sorry, that was a bad joke. All right, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Um, this is the reading of God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. After, oh, nope. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had, when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good to be with you all again to open God's word and hear what it has to say this morning. Uh, like many of you, I too am struggling with a lot of uncertainty and fear. When it comes to the future, the pandemic has been hard on all of us. My hope is that today's message not only encourages you, but also gives you some allowance. Allowing you to feel the turmoil of our present day. Allowing you to feel sadness and mourn. And yet, allowing you to feel hope, even when hope seems dim. Now, whether you can say that you are a follower of Jesus or if you're tuning in because you're interested, our text has a lot to say to us as we move from 2021 to 2022. And as much as our text today is a Christmas-themed text about Jesus' birth, it also speaks about the human heart and how, whether we call it this or not, we are wired to worship. Why is Jesus's birth a cataclysmic event? Why is it important today? And it's because if he said, if he is who he says he is, then he changes three things. He changes what we worship, he changes who we worship, 
and he changes how we worship. Now, what are cataclysmic moments? They're moments that shake us to our core. One of these moments for me was 9-11. I still remember in my classroom in Brooklyn, as my teachers attempted to describe what was going on as appropriately as possible. I still remember parents coming to pick their children up early, trying to hide their confusion and fear. I still remember when I got home, turned on the TV, the images of the towers collapsing, the very clear message of terror that was planned, orchestrated, and executed. I still remember how I was too confused to be fearful and how I was so desperately trying to find an answer to who, what, and why. These moments can utterly change the way you look at the world. These moments can educate you in a hyper-accelerated way. What once was is gone. And what is, is here to stay. And this is the tension that Herod must have felt when he heard the news and the prophecy about Jesus's birth. Not only Herod, but all of Jerusalem was in turmoil as well, because if Jesus was the king of the Jews, then he could be a threat to the Roman Empire, who had a history of demolishing civilization. Great hope mixed with tremendous fear. This was a cataclysmic event. And in the first eight verses of our text, we can see the chain reaction going on in Herod's heart. If Jesus was the king of the Jews, then his reign was over. His power would be nullified. Everything would be in jeopardy. You can sense the desperation, the fear, and we don't have to dig too deep to find what Herod would have worshipped. His own power. The birth of Jesus challenged his power, his control. He challenged what he worshipped. Now, what is worship? This is my definition. Uh, there's a lot of them. Worship is adoration and obedience. It's both Sunday and Monday through Saturday. It's both joy and allegiance, expression and identity. And it's the engine of our spiritual core, which is known as the heart. Worship, in other words, is our operating system. We were created to worship, created to adore and obey, to find joy as well as pledge allegiance. And if worship is the engine, rather than asking the question, do we worship? Instead, we should ask, what do we worship? Our text gives us one likely fuel source, power, control, control over our own destinies, control over our own lives. If we worship control, it might look like this. I just have to live a good moral life. Then God has to bless me, right? I have built my life with the right career, the right college, the right choices. I did everything right. 
that means I don't have to be on the hook for anything. After all, didn't I earn it? Don't I deserve it? But the hard part about worshiping this form of control is when suffering intrudes into your life. But if I've earned God's blessing, then how dare he make me go through something like this? How, how in the world can you deal with that? Aside from doubting yourself, am I a good person? Maybe I've done something to upset God. Right? Worshiping control comes in many shapes and sizes. It can also look like this. If I live a life that is free, free to pursue any and every desire, free to be true to myself, then I'll be able to create the life I've always wanted. I get to decide what's right for me. It's another form of control. This is who I am. I set the boundaries of my happiness. Nothing and no one can challenge that. But then what happens when you do dive into your desires and you're still unhappy? Wouldn't that be so heartbreaking? Can your freedom bear the burdens of your heart, all of the expectations, all of your hopes and dreams? Can it deliver on what you're asking it to? You see, we'll burn through everything. We'll offer up our money, our families, our sanity on the altar to produce smoke. We'll fail to realize that all we're producing is too much carbon emissions. And what if power or control isn't it for you? What if you worship your image of yourself? What if secretly and slowly you've bought into the quiet narrative that you are the center of the universe? Now, there was a uh, Calvin and Hobbes bit where they're both under a starry night sky and they're talking about the vastness of space and the scale of the universe. And then Calvin screams, I am significant. And in the following panel, Calvin finishes, screamed the dust speck. Right? Doesn't that describe the human heart so well? In one moment, my heart screams, I am the center of the universe. And after one breath whispers that I am nothing. You are the greatest thing to walk this earth. But if you fail at work, if you fail at this relationship, if you don't have a, this, this amount of money, if you're not in the third and the third or fourth four list, then you're just a speck of dust. See, that's why we need a savior. We need to worship the king rather than power, money, sex, our image of ourselves. We need a king, like in verse six, who will both rule us and shepherd us. We ultimately need a king who will tell us that he is in control, that we are not the center of the universe. We need Jesus to change what we worship. We need him to be the king of the Jews, but also the king who will deliver on his promises, who doesn't demand sacrifices, but is born to be the sacrifice. We need someone who is incorruptible, 
and yet compassionate. And most definitely someone who is worthy of our worship. Jesus' birth reminds us that he can change what we worship, but it also prompts us to change who we worship. My wife and I love our apartment building, but on any given day, there's something wrong with it. Whether it's a leaky roof, a light bulb that our landlord needs to fix, uh, that maddening beeping of the fire alarm in the hall that needs its battery replaced. But I found that I am really good at identifying the problems of her building, but simply identifying them isn't enough to fix them. And that's because simply understanding what's out of order isn't enough to set it back in order. It's not enough to identify what we worship. Our hearts are still in disrepair. It's not enough to hear the stories. It's not enough to know the facts and memorize the verses of the Bible. You have to let Jesus change who you worship. And he can only change who you worship if he reveals himself to you as worthy of your worship. You have to feel his love for yourself, that he absolutely loves you even though you screwed up in the past. And until you encounter Jesus, you will always, always ask the question, can he be trusted? You'll ask, can I really rest all my dreams and my hopes on him? Can he really handle my secrets, my pain? Can he really ground me when I'm facing successes of every kind? You need a firsthand experience of his love. And you do that by turning to the cross. Jesus was born God eternal took on flesh. He lived a perfect life so that he could be crucified for your sin and mine and to rise again in three days to share with us his new life. You have power incorruptible who came to be with you. The burning bush in Exodus that did not need to consume fuel, consume the bush in order to exist. He was not dependent on anything, but desired to appear before you. A God who does not ask for a living sacrifice paid out of your own hands, but provides it through his own son. It's this God who you can trust. Now, maybe you've heard the gospel before. Maybe you you do want to experience his love firsthand, and it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe you don't feel his love because it's a very hard time right now don't give up he is worth it he is still there he sees your pain now if you've had a hard week if the holidays are especially hard because of the loss of loved ones or they're in a fight health wise or maybe you're sick or maybe you couldn't see your family because of covid if these past few days have been a sort of battleground for your faith i know what all of this can sound like. Here I am talking about Jesus and worship and cataclysmic events, and it all just doesn't seem relevant to what you're facing right now. I understand, and these past few days, 
I am right there with you. If you're going through this as I am, then what we need is not a generic idiom. We don't need an everything is going to be okay. What we need is hope. What we need is a hug. What we need is the allowance to process our pain and hurt, our worries and frustrations with a person, with Jesus. Jesus is the only God who came down and experienced suffering, but also the only God who will one day do away with our pain. On the cross, he took on the type of suffering never felt before, and he did it to show us the lengths God was willing to go to in order to show us that he is worthy of your worship. See, that's the hope we need. It's found in a person, Jesus, born king of the Jews, but also the king of your heart. If Jesus changes what we worship and who we worship, then he also has to change how we worship. If you look at verses 9 through 12, Jesus' birth changes how we worship, and it's through joy, generosity, and wisdom. And in the midst of great turmoil and, free, and fear in our passage, in verse 10, the wise men rejoiced. They were overjoyed. Why? Because they knew that even though there was a lot of fear and uncertainty about the future, Jesus' birth signaled that God's joy was entering into the world. It signaled to the world that he still cares. That even in the midst of hardship, God cared enough to enter in so that mankind could know him more. We're facing another wave of the pandemic. It's hard to muster up anything remotely close to joy. I'm tired, I'm frustrated. And yet the joy that Christ brings in his birth specifically applies during hard times. If his birth came in turmoil, and yet there was also great joy, then even during this turmoil with Delta and Omicron variants, his joy can still rest in you. One does not negate the other. Joy and hard times can coexist. Joy can spring forth in our uncertainties without explanation sometimes. Instilling hope into our hearts when we need it the most. And if you felt something like that, know that that's Christ in your midst. That's his presence. He cares what we're going through. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know it's hard to accept joy of any kind that is available when I'm going through something hard. But I've had to learn painfully that joy and sorrow are not opposites. They can dwell together. And the big kicker is, and I don't have to feel guilty about feeling joy in those moments. That's Christ, and that's Christ encouraging us. And that gives us, and that guides us into our main takeaway and application. 
in these next weeks, find ways to creatively bring joy to others. Now, how would this person feel loved and celebrated? But the harder application is this. Accept joy given by others. <laughs> we can all admit that we need a jolt of joy pretty much every single day during COVID. But it's hard to accept help. So give yourself extra freedom to receive joy. Right? Jesus changes how we worship with joy, not outside of hard times, but in it. But Jesus also changes how we worship through generosity. The wise men opened up their treasures to give absolute strangers gifts of high value after a long journey and after meeting with the king. Right? They didn't even give the king a gift of myrrh, whatever that is, right? But when they saw Jesus and his mother Mary, they fell down in worship. And the next appropriate act of worship, they gave generously. Now, whatever that looks like in your life, it doesn't have to be financial, although that is definitely part of it. It can be your time, your relationship capital, your gifts and skills being used. Generosity is always tied with worship. Right? Jesus changes how we worship because generosity is a fitting response when we worship him. Right? Jesus changes how we worship the joy and generosity. But we also have to be incredibly wise about it. Right? We have to be cautious of being callously joyous and, or callously generous, especially when those around us are having a hard time. In both giving and receiving joy, what's helped me in the past is saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time right now. I need some time before I can talk or answer questions. Right? Give me some time, but, but I need you to come back. I give specific dates on when they can return. How we worship wisely could also mean charting a path that might be inconvenient or incredibly out of the way, but don't write those off. Because God is leading you there like the wise men in verse 12. It's Hard to see what the future holds, but God is leading you somewhere, whether that's in work, living situation, life goals, or anything else. Don't write those inconvenient or incredibly out of the way paths off. Don't write them off. Trust in Him. Giving and receiving joy, being generous with what we have, being wise and discerning. That's how Jesus changes how we worship. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the weight of your son's birth with all of its massive implications weigh on us, press on us, that not only was he born king of the Jews, but he was born to be the king of our hearts. Fill us with a joy that perseveres in dark times. Arrange Reminders to those who love us and care for us. Help our hands to open to receive your grace through your people. And we ask also 
that our joy, which is forged right now through hardship, be warm and draw others to storefront and to you, the King who is worthy of worship. In your name we pray, amen.